Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi David Levin-Cruz on Parashat Tuma. This podcast is sponsored by Zara, four and a half, Jewel Scarlet, two and a half, and their parents, Sasha Littman and Rochelle Behrens, in memory of their grandfather, Jack T. Littman, Zichrono Livracha, on his 11th site. His only regret was to not have had the opportunity to meet his grandchildren. Be sure to follow us at elma.pardes.org for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem. And now, Rabbi David Levin-Cruz. Jews were the victims of one of the worst, if not the worst, genocides in history, and that is, of course, of the Shoah. And ever since then, or even before then, I think Jews as a body politic have been very aware and have said things like, never again. Jews were very, very much involved in the field of the creation of international human rights. And of course, Israel in many, many ways is a symbol, and more than a symbol, a surety that a Shoah will never happen again. And yet, this Shabbat, we read about the mitzvah of destroying Amalek, Shabbat Zachor, one of the special Shabbatot, before Purim, and we read what Amalek did to us. I'm using the version from Dvarim. Kavhei, first Soshi, remember what Amalek did to you on your journey after you left Egypt. How undeterred by fear of God. They just came along, this people, Amalek. They weren't scared. They didn't have any reason for doing it. They heard that um, these people had been um, saved. And out of spite, out of meanness, it wasn't as if the Israelite people were any threat to them. They surprised you on the march when you were famished and weary. Very, very unfair warfare till maybe after the First World War there was this idea of fighting fair in war. Even today we speak about a just war, but that's not what Amalek did. They caught you, they took took you when you were hungry and tired and cut down all the stragglers in, in your rear. Really a very, very cruel punishment. Therefore, when God grants you safety from all your enemies around you, when you get to the land of Israel, in the land that God is giving you as a hereditary portion, block out the memory of Amalek. Timche et zecher Amalek. From under heaven, do not forget. Lol, tishkach, do not forget, which has also become, of course, for many Jews and others, a rallying cry about the Shoah. This is understood not as only destroying the Amalekim who attacked the Israelite people on their way from Egypt, but actually their descendants, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, it doesn't matter what. If you are of Amaleki descendants, then descendant, then you are to be um, to be destroyed. Um, the um, Rambam says that the Ramban, sorry, Ramban Nachmanides says that what Amalek did was a rebellion against God. They heard what had happened, and they were trying to show that there's no God in the world, somewhat reminiscent of some of the things that Hitler said in Mein Kampf, the idea that as long as there are Jews in the world, then there is a sign that there is a God in heaven. And Amalek were 
um, had the similar motivation, and it's not by chance that they are often that the Nazis were often compared to them. It was not a political act; it was somehow wanting to show that they were greater than God um, in in heaven. Of course, the rabbis did feel a need to justify it. They did feel a need to justify it. And if you look in number two and number three, also from Devarim, we see that um, we are commanded to destroy people, the idolaters, the evil people we come in touch with. Why? Lest they lead you into doing all the abhorrent things they have done for their gods and you stand guilty before the Lord your God. There is a fear that people will tempt us to do harm. And it's very, very interesting. I often wonder, I meet sometimes, I haven't not really meet, read about people whose grandparents were Nazis or great-grandparents are Nazis. Often they're very, very good people who are seeking to atone or make amends or at least to understand what happened, often much better than me. And yet I always wonder, what does it mean to have grown up in that way? Years ago, I attended a performance of a play about Simon Wissenthal. And at the end, I asked a question whether Wissenthal's family had seen the play. And the playwright said to me, no. But he said, a few years ago, not far from where you were sitting, a woman stood up after the um, play, and she said, I'm Adolf Eichmann's granddaughter, great-granddaughter. She says, in one night, I learned more about what my grandfather, great-grandfather did during the war than in my entire life. On the one hand, here's a woman, totally not guilty of anything her great-grandfather did, but nobody bothered to tell her, trying to understand very, very hard, and sometimes there is a thought what type of an atmosphere did she grow up with? Hard questions. We are not the first people to deal with it. It's not only modern liberal sensitivities that are bothered by it. The rabbis already in the Gemara, but especially in medieval times, were very, very concerned about how there can be a mitzvah to basically destroy an entire people. And as is usual in Jewish um, texts, they found ways to lessen it, to, um, to, um, to make it less, to, to, to make more strict the conditions that one would have to apply in order for the uh, mitzvah to apply. So if you look at number four, and often these come from the Torah itself. It's the Torah itself that teaches us to be sensitive to problems within the Torah. So we have in Dvarim the famous idea, lo yumtu avot al banim, ubanim lo yumtu al avot, ish yumato. A person should only be put to death for their own crimes, not for those of their parents, not for those of their children, and immediately with Amalek, that means at least plants the question in our mind, is it fair to destroy people for what their parents, grandparents or great-grandparents did? Like the case I mentioned about the woman who stood up 
Um, then the Sifre says, lest they lead you into abhorrent, abhorrent things, quoting from Tvarim, melamed she'im osim tshuva ein nehergin, that um, if they have done tshuva, then they are not um, to be killed. Once there is no longer a real fear that Amalek will lead us astray or that they will kill us, then we have the ability to um, be a little kinder. And if people repent, they no longer have to be killed. But look at what the Rambam in his brilliance does. The Rambam, quoting the Gemara, he's in Brachot, says, it is a positive commandment to destroy the seven nations, and everybody who encounters one of the seven nations that does not kill them has transgressed a same negative commandment. Then listen to this, Ukvar Avad Zikram. The seven nations' identity has been lost. In Brachot 28a, it said that when Sennacherib, the king of Syria, and the destroyer of the Samaria, he mixed up the nations, and therefore we do not know who an Amaleki is. Anybody could have a little trace of Amalekite blood in, but also there's nobody who we can actually point to and say that person is an Amalekite in a very, very clever way of dealing with it. But I misspoke. This is not talking about the Amalekites. It is talking about the seven nations who we were told to destroy when we left Egypt, the seven nations in the way. This was not said, Dafka, about the Amalekites. But look what the Rambam in his brilliance does. And he says, He says, it is a mitzvah aser to destroy Amalek. He says, It's only for those who did not create some type of a um, peace offering. The Rambam extends the idea of the seven nations can do tshuva, the seven nations have been mixed up with the other nations, that this only applies if it isn't a peace treaty. He, the Rambam, extends this to the Amalekites. Very, very brilliant. And in so doing, he really makes it all but theoretical. Okay, fine, nice. We've shown that the rabbis had compassion. We've shown that they understood. We've shown that it's not only a modern phenomenon, but in fact, throughout the generations, people have felt this way. We could leave it over here. Say goodbye and Shabbat Shalom. But I don't really believe this. I don't really believe this. I think even if a mitzvah no longer applies, even if we've explained it away, there is still something that it comes to teach us. It's not about like, oh, we have something embarrassing, get rid of it, now feel good. Why was it written to start off with? Even if we find it abhorrent, could there be something that we could learn from it? And in fact, this is what has happened with the mitzvah of destroying Amalek. People have found ways to reinterpret it so that it still be, might be meaningful um, if you read in the Ma'am Lo'ez, it says you should know that in every generation, it is Amalek that rises to destroy us. For each time he clothes himself in a different nation. This was Reb Chaim of Brisk's 
approach that Amalek is the evil people of every generation who try to destroy the Jewish people. Um, and we often hear this today. Amalek is the anti-Semite. On one level, it's very helpful. It gives us Jewish language to speak about people who oppose us. On the other hand, I think this can be very, very dangerous. When Reb Chaim of Brisk wrote this, the Jewish people did not have political power. But in a situation, especially in Israel, where we have political power, I think thinking of our enemies as Amalek can be extremely, extremely um, problematic. It needs to be dealt with, with great, great care. But nevertheless, I think there's something in it to understand that there are people in the world who hate Jews and it's our obligation to fight against anti-Semitism. So one way is to um, identify Amalek with the people in every generation. Ten, in Chulin, this is a much more internal, something very, uh, an approach very often in the Hasidic or the Kabbalistic or the mystical world. The, there's a little bit of a joke going on over here. Where do we find Haman in the Torah? And it's upon Hamin Ha'etz Hazer, from the tree which I commanded that you do, you eat, did you not eat? Talking about Brashit with the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And the idea is that Haman is something inside us. Amalek is something inside us. Amalek is the Yetzer Hara, the evil impulse. And what the mitzvah of destroying Amalek becomes is a, um, is a mitzvah to get rid of the evil parts um, inside of ourselves. It's not any people, but it, it's not, but it is something inside us, a behavior that should be rooted out, especially from ourselves. And very often the seven emotions are seen as the seven nations. So one, one way is to say it's anti-Semitism. Second is to say it's in ourselves. A third way is Michael Lerner's way a um, liberal Jewish thinker, and this is liberal Jewish thinking. His, his idea, basically, please read it over because it's very powerful. He believes that there is no real such thing, no, no such thing as evil in reality, or it exists, but it does not have a life of its own. Evil comes out because of bad parenting and rough neighborhoods, and we can overcome it. That is what destroying Amalek is. Evil is not evil with a capital E. Cruelty is not cruelty with a capital E. It may take generations to undo the legacy of cruelty, but it is not a fixed and permanent part of what it is to be human. It can be overcome, however slowly and cautiously. So here, Amalek is everything that makes us bad people. Rabbi Samson Rafael Hirsch disagrees. He says, if you look at number 13, it's his commentary on Tehillim. God causes even now to hate, not the evil man, not the evil person, but evil itself, and to rise in open opposition against evil wherever and whenever it may appear. The For Samson Rafael Hirsch, he says evil does exist. Evil does exist, but, um, and what destroying Amalek is destroying evil. So we have anti-Semitism, we have internal, we have evil does not have a life of its own, evil does have a life of its own. Rabbi Scheiheld, Rabbi Scheiheld does something absolutely brilliant. It's not, I, 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 he's brilliant, 
Um, I'm not sure this is originally from him, but may very well be. If you look at the psukim we read originally, they are extremely, um, they are extremely unclear. The language it says, the, the weak were behind you, and you were tired and um, very tired, and not in awe of God. And we assume that we jump very, very quickly from speaking about us being tired to Amalek not being in awe of God. But this is not the pshat. This is not a plain reading of it. The plain reading is that we were the ones who were who did something wrong. What was the wrong thing? That we let people, the weak people, left the weak people in the back. That was what we did. We were the, the strong people ran forward and the weak people stood in the back. And in Shihel's hands, this becomes something very, very beautiful. He says, what does it mean to destroy Amalek? It is to create a strong society that takes care of its weak people. That is destroying Amalek. A society that is strong enough that people will, again, I don't know how much of this is him and a lot of some of this is me. A, a society that is strong enough that if it is attacked, it will be able to avert the people who attack it, but it's also a society that is strong enough to um, to take care of the weak. I think Heschel said, I think it was Heschel, who said that we know what a society's value is by the way that it treats its old people, by the way it treats the people who are weak. And in so doing, I think, Amalek becomes a mitzvah to build the very, very best society that we um, possibly can. Um, we started off with, um, and in fact, if you look at the last one, what is the dream? The dream, the real way of to fight Amalek is to create a nation that will beat their swords into plowshares and their, spe their spears into pruning hooks. But perhaps I will leave the last word of this to Yehuda Amichai, the poet, who said something very powerful which I think summarizes a lot of what we've said. He said, don't stop beating the swords into plowshares. Don't stop. Go on beating and make musical instruments out of them. Whoever wants to make war again will have to turn them into plowshares first. Shabbat Shalom. And may we merit to destroy Amalek by building the best and the strongest and the most ethical and caring society possible. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcasts. You can also subscribe to our other podcast channels when you visit us on Spotify or online at elmod.pardes.org. Be sure to tune in next week to listen to Yiska Smith as she discusses Parashat Tetzaveh. Thanks for listening.